morning, good morning, Church of the Beloved. Thank you, Margaret, for reading that passage today. Um, and for those of you who are joining us for the very first time, I'm Abe, uh, and I'm so glad that you're with us. Uh, if this is your first time with us, I, I do ask if you would, text COTB to 97000, or you can go to our website, cotb.life. Tap the connect with us button, that way we can get you connected to our church family. Um, now, I want to say, the Church of the Beloved, we understand, we know that prayer is an essential component uh, to our continued growth as God's beloved children. And that's why we include a time of corporate prayer. We got a double dose of it with Derek today, but we include a time of corporate prayer with our service. And I'll give you a little insight. Um, uh, our, your team, uh, every week, prepares for each Sunday by starting off the week to identify what it is that is the greatest need that we can think of or understand uh, to lift up as a church together in prayer. As I said, thanks to Derek. And I want to also thank all the others who've been part of that corporate prayer ministry for some time now. Opal, Peter, uh, Suzette, uh, Christy, Thomas, Katz, I mean, Carolyn, and Stacy, Andrew, Cindy, Alex, all y'all, thank you so much. And I want to say, if you want to be part of that, we love to have you join. Just email info at cotb.life. Or maybe you have a certain prayer request or a need that you would like the congregation to consider or maybe just the staff to consider to pray. You can also email those to info at cotb.life because prayer is so important to us. We, we also try to, to build in times of prayer into the rhythms of our church as a whole as well. Every Sunday, a group gathers at 9.15, virtually and in real life here, uh, to pray before and for each service so that we won't neglect gathering to encourage and to be encouraged as a family. Everybody is invited to join us. Uh, you can join by going to cotb.life slash pray, or if you're here, just find me. Uh, if you're going to come online, we just email us and we'll send you the password to that. We're also committed to building into our rhythms on the last Sunday of each month, a time of prayer. And we're going to be doing that tonight at 5 p.m. virtually. Again, the same link, cotb.life slash pray. So I hope you can join us for that because prayer is important. And speaking of prayer, here's a segue before we get into today's passage, today's message. I want to ask you if you would join with me. I want to pray to our sovereign God, to our King, that God will be glorified today that you would be edified every day. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you are sovereign king. You are our gracious savior. You are our loving father. And we come humbly before you because you alone are worthy of all the worship and all the glory and all the devotion. I ask, please, may the words of my mouth be a conduit of your truth only. May this time be edifying to your beloved creation, your children. May it be a sweet, sweet song in your ears, of oh God. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Uh, you know, most of you have been, for those of you who are attending in person, you've been here since the beginning uh, where we started this sermon series, the Epistle of Joy in Philippians. And I presented two weeks ago this joy formula, Jesus, others, and you, where you consider Jesus first and then, <coughs> excuse me, love others next. That will equal your joy. Last week, we looked at how Paul put Jesus first in the midst of all the suffering he was going through for Christ's sake. 
and how that elevated the gospel, how that encouraged his sisters and brothers, and how that ultimately eclipsed himself. This was all so that he would be able to find joy in Jesus. And this week, what I want to do is I want to break down the passage that was just read by Margaret today. And this passage dives deeper into the O part of that joy formula. We, we are going to consider how Paul considered others to experience joy. And I'll tell you right now, there's no fancy acronym, no alliterative device. This week, we're just going to dive verse by verse, unpacking the scripture. And we're going to start with verse 18. And in verse 18, it reads this, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul rejoiced and knew that he would be able to continue on rejoicing. I rejoice, I will rejoice. So we see through Paul's words, there is a hope, there's a promise for constant, continued joy. And if we continue on in this letter, Paul explains how he knew that the joy that he felt, it was not going to be limited to this present moment. How he knew that this joy was going to be carried on into the future until Christ returned to complete the good work of sanctification in his partners in ministry, in his sisters and his brothers. He wrote here, yes, I will rejoice for, for I know, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul understood that because the church in Philippi was continuing to pray, and because of those prayers, the Holy Spirit was continuing a transformative work in Paul. Because of this, Paul knew he would be able to continue in his joy, his, the joy of his deliverance. And I want to I zoom in on that word for just a moment, deliverance, that Paul talks about. Now, there are a number of scholars who understand and interpret that word deliverance, or also salvation, as referring specifically to Paul's imprisonment. But I agree with another larger group of theologians and scholars who believe that there's much more significance to the deliverance that's being referenced here. And before we get into that, I want to be very clear. See, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it fully justifies those elect who believe in Jesus as the Son of God. The grace of God for his beloved, it is not incumbent on or dependent upon my work or my efforts. It is a gift, freely given and absolutely complete in, in its work for those who receive it. So the prayers of the people of Philippi, it is not because they think that Paul's justification in Christ is incomplete, but the prayers for the help of the Spirit in Paul, in Paul's life, is because his sanctification is incomplete. Let me say it a different way. There is a chasm, a broken relationship between, that separates us from God. The restoration of that broken relationship is something Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross provides. This is justification. This is the instantaneous and gracious act of God to say to his beloved, you're going to be coming home with me. You're coming to heaven with me. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says that, yet, yet we know, yet we know that, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
So justification is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and it is complete. It is total. The impact of justification for God's beloved is sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being set apart. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, it basically says that it says that as Christians, we're called to live so differently from the world, set apart so differently from the world that we make God smile and we make people question. See, sanctification is the ongoing active participation of the justified person to submit to God, to submit to God and, 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 the, and work towards becoming more Christ-like, more like Jesus. That, that's the work that continues on until Jesus returns. And so, so Paul's deliverance, Paul's salvation, the word that's used in verse 19, it includes justification and sanctification. Another way to look at it, it's, it's like when I earned my uh, master's degree back in 1995 uh, in social work. My, my ab- ability, my capacity to provide the type of service, the counseling, the support I needed to do as a social worker it was not instantaneous. I was allowed to get that job because of my degree, but it's that ability improved over time. My diploma was instantaneous. Well, sort of. My ability was not. See, we are justified by faith in Christ, and we are sanctified by following Christ. So Paul reminds God's beloved in chapter 1, verse 6, that God started a good work, but it's not done. It's not going to be completed until Jesus comes back to establish his upside-down kingdom. And we are being sanctified as a result every single moment by the work of the Spirit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. The Christian Standard Bible, it says this, it says that we ought to thank God. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. The power of the Holy Spirit to continually transform God's beloved into Spirit-filled disciples, the power to continually sanctify, the power to continually make us holy, that's how we are kept saved. That is how Paul is being delivered. The prayer for the salvation work of the Spirit being prayed by the... Philippians, that's what this is. That's for his sanctification. So let's continue on in today's passage. It says this, for, for I know that through your prayers and uh, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. Paul's passion, Paul's primary hope and desire is that Jesus will be honored, that Christ will be magnified, that the Son of God will be venerated by the life that Paul lives and by the death that Paul dies. And and, and Paul goes on to explain why, uh, as we continue reading, he says, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. There was a point in my life, uh, my first year of college, it it was not a good year. It was a time when I was ready to give up. 
There was a lot going on in my family at the time, and I'm not going to get into the details. Maybe I'll save that for another day. But there were a number of days where I would just sit on the ledge of my dorm room window and contemplate how easy it would be to just stop, to just jump, to just give up, because I was done. Obviously, I didn't go through with it. I'm still here. But part of the reason is because I actually didn't know where I would end up. See, the idea of my death provided me no comfort. No more comfort than the pain I was facing in my life at the time. But for Paul, this pull to not keep fighting, it was great. Because for him, no matter, no longer being a part of this corporeal reality, no longer being a part of a temporal world, no longer being alive in the earthly sense, that meant that he was going to be in heaven. A place where moth and rust doesn't corrupt, where, where there's no more death, no more tears, no more pain, where there's only complete and total joy because we're in the presence of perfection and we are perfected as a result. It was better because he would be with God. He would be with his dad, with his best friend. Now, I'm not advocating suicide. I am not supporting euthanasia. That's not my point. What I want to point out is this. Paul's desire was to live a life that glorifies God. And, and, and this included a joy in the realization that at the very end, when his time on earth was done, things would be so much better. For Paul, death was not something that he feared at all, yet actually he yearned for it. Because when he dies, he gains everything. That means the race is finished, the war is over, the fight has been fought, Jesus has won, and Paul is home. And with that end game in mind, with the understanding that to die is gain, that it is far better at the end, it is so much more important for us to fully understand and grasp what Paul means when he says to live is Christ. If Paul's passion is to live a life and to die a death that puts Jesus first, what does it mean to live? What, what does Paul mean when he says that to live is Christ? And we're going to continue reading to see what it means. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. For me, see, to live is Christ. To live in the flesh means I need to continue to bear fruit, fruitful labor. And earlier in verse 11, Paul actually writes that the fruit of righteousness that, that he's referring to, it comes from Jesus. So Paul's life produces fruit when he allows Jesus to use him as an instrument of, his right, of Christ's righteousness. Jesus uses the beloved of God to bear the results of his righteousness in this world. See, we are the ones God uses through the constant work of the Spirit in our lives to show what it means to be the beloved of God. We are being sanctified. We are being set apart. We are being intended to live a, a life in a way that bears the fruit of God's glory. That is to live as Christ, to, to allow ourselves to be used as instruments of God's righteousness. To live is Christ. I said that today's message is going to focus on the O part of joy. And I haven't actually gotten to it. Now we will. In verses 23 and 24, it gets to the O. It says this, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to, and to be with Christ, 
for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul is saying, my continued struggle, my continued efforts, my continued fight is for you, my sisters and my brothers. Because Paul knows that the joy he feels for the sake of Christ, it is being emboldened, it is being empowered by the Spirit's transformative work in his life brought about by the constant prayers of his family in Philippi. And so now he wants to continue that effort for their sake. He wants to put others before himself. Jesus is Paul's passion and Jesus' beloved is Paul's purpose. Paul wants to live for his Savior by living for his saved. When Jesus comes first for Paul and others come next, he experiences joy. You know, a few months back, I started uh, to meet with all our small group leaders and um, across our three campuses. And I, I have to mention, um, since we are just one church, we have one pastor, one service, striving to be one body together. I've been, every once in a while, referring to our campuses now as COTB's uh, districts. And I've been told, though I shouldn't, because it conjures up images of the Hunger Games and makes, and I was trying to, uh, my wife, she doesn't realize this, but I was trying to learn that Mockingjay whistle, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I even try to do this thing, but I, I can't keep my fingers. I can, I, I can do this. But that's basically good. Anyway, over the past few months, it's such a tangent, I apologize. I've been gathering with the small group leaders uh, on a monthly basis, and I've been asking them across all three campuses. We're, we've been spending time in training, encouragement, discipleship. And I've asked every single one of them the same question. I asked them, what's their best memory? What's their favorite memory of small group? It didn't have to necessarily be when they were leading, just a memory a small group. And I'll tell you, nearly every, maybe every single one of them shares stories of, first of all, meeting in person, which is something we're really wanting to do. Eating together, food is always important. Playing among us together, that seemed to be one. But at the heart of every single one of those stories was this continued thread, that there, this growth as a community of believers striving to love God more together. For Paul to live is Christ. Paul's decision to continue to fight his fight for the sake of others was so that he might be used as an instrument by his Savior for his saved, so that his life might bear righteous fruit. And we find what fruit he's talking about in verse 25. He says this, convinced of this, I know, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy. The fruit of living for Christ is seeing the progress and joy of others. To, to live in Christ is to encourage the beloved of God to draw near to God, to experience the joy of Jesus. The fruit of one's life, when you allow Christ to come first, the fruit of one's life, when you allow the Spirit to transform you, is to see your sister and your brother progress, to find their joy in Jesus and their faith. Paul knew that there could be immediate, immeasurable gain in his death. He knew that. But Paul also understood that there would be so much more if he continued to live his life for Christ, for others. In Luke, Jesus shares this parable, which is a story, this parable of how one should live a life. The moral of it was how one should live a life, putting others first, being humble. 
And the reason for that is so that we might receive blessings on the day of the resurrection of the righteous. So you have to wonder, was it Paul being selfish? Was it selfish to want to stick around long enough to rack up some more frequent joy miles with Jesus? You know, that, I don't think it was. That's not the case because ultimately Paul was still doing this, not at the expense of others. He was doing it for the joy of others. Jesus first and then others next will equal our so what does this mean? What does this mean for us today? What are the practical implications? What, are, what is the application of living for Christ so that others might find joy? And there are a lot. You can see that in the rest of the passage, but I just want to focus on one for today. Just verse 27. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Church of the beloved, we are one church. We are one church united and unified. We are a family of beloved children striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see, the thing is this. The church of the beloved is not here to strive against anybody or anything. We're, we're not even here to strive for anything. We are specifically here. The church of the beloved is here to strive for our faith together. I'll tell you, as I understand it, this church started years ago so that the gospel could be taught uh, to those for whom the gospel was being sought. But honestly, the cult of personality that formed around a single individual it really did stir a lot of interest for lots of people. And, 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 and we as a church grew exponentially. It was cool to see, and that was exciting to be a part of. And I want you to hear me out for a moment. I'm, I'm almost done for today, but as I was preparing, we live in America in a place where we are indoctrinated. We are indoctrinated with the understanding, the belief that I am imbued with the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are mine to pursue at all costs. These inalienable rights will undoubtedly be costly for others, but that's just the way it is. So the expectation is that I will put my interests first. I will prioritize my needs before everyone else. And this consumeristic mindset, it leads me to seek things that will entertain me. It's this whole idea of dance, monkey dance kind of mindset. And so as people seek to be entertained, as people seek to be stimulated, as people live a me-first ideology, I'll tell you, it is very easy to forget everyone else. We ignore others rather than prioritize them. Because it's about me. It's about what I can get out of this relationship. It's about what I can get out of this community. It's about what I can get out of this church. I'll tell you, for those of you who have been part of COTB for more than two years, thank you for still being a part of this community. I'm going to state the obvious right now. I am not Dave Choi. I am not Bryant. I am not James. I am not Otua. I do not have the eloquence. I do not have the good looks. I don't have the humor. I don't have the things that these people, I do not command the stage. Well, the heavens don't open up when my mouth does. All I'm trying to do is be a humble brother striving with you side by side to advance the gospel, to advance our faith. 
I want to be one who relinquishes my fascination with the cult of personality, including my own, so that I can love you, so that you can be loved. Because I want to put Jesus first and you next. I say this because I understand that there are going to be a lot of folks, many folks who have decided or will decide that you want something more, something different, something more engaging or enthralling in a church. And there are those who are saying to themselves, uh, who are maybe listening now, this, this just isn't the church for me anymore. You, you want to be entertained. You want to be excited. Honestly, I'm not going to fault you for that. I'm not going to hold that against you at all. This is for those who are committing to be a part of this church, though. Those who are wanting to see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know that they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. I'm going to ask you, do this, commit to this for God and for each other. Do not do that for me or for yourself even. I want you to proclaim like Paul did that you will remain, that you will continue to meet, to pray, to text, to email, to call, to Zoom, to have dinner with, to grab coffee with, to encourage your sister and your brother's progress and joy in their faith, in their faith in the true gospel, in the good news that Jesus has redeemed us to reign with him one day. See, we're called to strive together for the sake of the gospel. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about us together. It's about us. It's about how we are you know, how we can call somebody to text our sister who's living alone and lonely. It's about reaching out to your brother who is struggling with sexual sin. It's, it's about honestly saying, it's not about me. It really is about me supporting you because I want God to use me as his instrument of righteousness. Because I want you to grow in your relationship with God. I want you to have joy. I'm going to ask the band to come on back up. There's a story that I want to share. <clears throat> There's a man who fell into a pit. You may even know this story. And people are passing this person by in this pit, but no one paused to give him a hand, and he just kept, they kept walking until his friend showed up. His friend passed up and, and saw him down there, so his friend jumped into the pit. And the man who'd fallen in looked at him and said, dude, are you crazy? Now we're both stuck in here. His friend looks at him and says, yeah, but I've been here before. And I know the way out. We're called to strive together for the gospel, to walk side by side. The diversity of our church, of our body, allows each of us to jump into this pit together, to grab onto each other, and to say, I've been here before. I know the way out, so we can do this together.